Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. We are once again, hopefully finally, probably not, talking about the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation case. Why? Because I really thought that it was time to go through why the UK case did not come in to the Virginia case, why it was not binding, why it was the jury was not told about the results in the UK case, why it is so ridiculous that Amber Heard and her team keep talking about this as if it's a big serve. And because I really think that once we see them file for appeal, which they have 30 days after the entry of the verdict, the verdict should be entered on June 24th, but I'm recording this before that happens due to a family trip that we are taking. So they have 30 days after that is entered. So we aren't going to see it just yet, but this is going to keep coming up. And I feel like we just need to break down the facts of why it was ruled this way, why it's not an appealable issue and why it's really not an issue at all. Like it's just legally a complete nothing burger. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What happened in the UK and why it didn't come in in the Virginia court by going through the judge's ruling in this with a little more detail. And it's a great chance for us to talk about things like collateral estoppel and privity and mutuality. And it's going to feel like we get very deep into the law nerd dictionary in this one. So are you ready for some race judicata? Yes. Yes. All right. We should just go. We should just get started because I'm hoping that this will be a shorter one. Emily, famous last words. Uh-huh. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Huge thank you to today's sponsor, Manscaped. It's summer weather. It's time to get all of the hair things together. And Manscaped has an incredible package to get you and your man together. Yes, I use the Manscaped products too. I think they are fantastic. You know, all of the hair trimmers, they're so good. But you can get them all in a really helpful performance package for him that includes the lawnmower 4.0, all of the trimming needs, all of the hair, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. I cannot state enough how great the weed whacker is. It's fantastic. No one, no one needs nose hairs peeking out. Nobody, nobody just trim them so easy. And then the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver toner, and the incredible performance boxer briefs. They are really great boxer briefs. Dr. B enjoys them very much. And a travel bag because it is travel season. You're going to be going to the pool and to the beach. And what you need to be is all the way together from head to toe or nose to, well, we're going to just let it go. (laughs) Emily, where were you going with that? It rhymes with nose. So if you are ready to try out Manscaped, you can get 20% off and free shipping with code Lawnard, and it helps support the show. Manscaped.com, code Lawnard for 20% off and 
free shipping. Let me know what you get and how you enjoy it. They are great. Let's get back to today's episode. And if for some reason you are just jumping into this case, then a brief road so far before we get into the background that is so well laid out by the court. Johnny Depp sued the UK Sun over a headline wherein he was referred to as a wife beater in a libel suit, defamation that's printed, published, not spoken. Then he sued Amber Heard after that. The ruling in the UK case sided with the Sun, saying that the Sun had you know, enough evidence to publish that without it being libelous. It was, it was true enough really to, to be, to allow the sun to publish that headline without then being successfully sued for libel. Similar, but different to the case here, because here in, well, here by here, I mean, in the United States, not actually literally in my office, but In the U.S. case, in the Virginia case, Johnny Depp sued Amber Heard directly over her own op-ed where she said that she was a victim of domestic abuse or said that she was the face of domestic abuse and the headline that she republished saying that she spoke up about or against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. So two different cases, two different countries, two different court systems. Team Heard has tried to bring the UK case in to the US case and tried to bar to actually stop the US case from moving forward based on the ruling in the UK. And that's where we pick up with this ruling by Judge Penny Oscarotti in Virginia denying, Emily, are you just going to tell us what happens at the end? Yes. <laughs> denying team Heard's motion to stop the lawsuit, essentially, of Johnny Depp before it got to trial. Obviously, it got to trial, but I imagine this is going to be one of the issues that they appeal on because they have brought it up so much that the jury wasn't allowed to be told that there was this other UK case. Um, We heard Amber Heard in her interview with Dateline, you know, the UK case decided by a judge, not by a jury, more evidence came in, et cetera, et cetera. Judge A did a great job of breaking down this case and the law behind it and why it's not legally proper for this case to bar the other case. But will we see an appeal on this motion or will we see an appeal on the jury not being told about it? But if it's not binding Why should a jury be told that a different court in a different case with different parties in a different country ruled a different way, even though some of the alleged incidents are similar? You tell me. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Let us pull this motion up or pull this ruling up and talk about it. So we start with the background here. And again, you see all the attorneys. This is from August 17th, 2021. This is the court's opinion letter in the case of Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. And the opinion letter states, Dear counsel, this case came before the court on July 22nd, 2021 for hearing on defendant Heard's supplemental plea in bar to plaintiff Depp's complaint. Having taken the matter under advisement after reviewing the memoranda of law and arguments submitted by counsel, the court issues the following opinion overruling defendant's supplemental plea and bar. So they are trying to 
blocked this case from going forward because of the ruling in the UK case, and that is being denied. Overruled. Background in the underlying action for defamation. Depp is suing Heard for statements defendant made in an op-ed published by the Washington Post in 2018. Plaintiff believing that defendant's statements falsely characterized him as a domestic abuser filed his defamation claim on March 1st, 2019. Prior to the commencement of the plaintiff's suit in Fairfax County, plaintiff brought suit in the UK against news group newspapers, the publisher of the Sun newspaper, for claims of defamation regarding the Sun's publication of a 2018 column referring to plaintiff as a quote unquote wife beater. On November 2, 2020, the judge in the UK litigation ruled against plaintiff, finding the Sun's statements were substantially true and thus a defense to defamation. On March 25th, 2021, the UK Court of Appeal upheld the trial court's ruling against plaintiff and denied his application for permission to appeal. Plaintiff's litigation in the UK against the Sun became final on April 6, 2021. Defendant Heard subsequently moved for leave to amend her plea and bar to dismiss Depp's complaint based on collateral estoppel, raised judicata, comedy, and the Uniform Foreign Country Money Judgments Recognition Act. That is the entire name of the act. Ultimately, defendant argues the UK finding that plaintiff is a quote unquote wife beater should be given preclusive effect in this court, given plaintiff's previous opportunity to fully and fairly adjudicate such issue. And that is really the heart of this motion. Did Depp have a previous opportunity to fully and fairly adjudicate or litigate the issue? The legal standard is set forth that a plea and bar is a defensive pleading alleging a, uh, a single issue of fact or circumstance, which if proven constitutes a complete bar to plaintiff's claim. So by bar, they mean stop right there. Thank you very much. No, they mean your case isn't going any further. You are barred from bringing this case. Stop. Hammer time. All right. I'm going to stop singing the stop songs. No, I'm not. Because we're going to talk about plea and bar this whole motion. And the stop songs are going to keep coming up in my head. And we are going to get a few more of them. It's been a while since all of the stop songs have made themselves known in an episode of The Emily Show. Speaking of which, by the way, we're just going to take a minute. Emily, should you have done this at the beginning? Yes. Are you that organized? No. This episode is episode 150 of The Emily Show. I cannot believe that there have been 150 episodes of this podcast that I love so dearly. This podcast was kind of the beginning of it all. It's where I started shifting into pop culture before putting the podcast on YouTube, before streaming on YouTube in the way that I do now. And so many of you have found me from the podcast or found the podcast because of uh, my YouTube channel. And it's just been incredible. But when I first, first started the podcast, I was very nervous about committing to putting something out weekly. And here we are 150 episodes later and weekly is what we have done. It's just absolutely been just a pleasure to break these cases down with you. And unbelievable that just week after week, we've gotten to 150 episodes. Just unbelievable. When this podcast started in 2019, I didn't know that my life would shift so dramatically during 2020. And the purpose of the podcast has shifted, but me showing up here with you every single week hasn't. And truly, it is a pleasure. And we should get back into this case. But you guys, we've gotten to episode 150. And thank you for being here. I can't believe we've made it. 
We're there. We're there. All right. Now let's get back into this portion. Let's get into this plea and bar. Stop right there. Stop in the name. All of the stop songs. Collateral estoppel. Here we go. Here we go into the legal jargon that you might feel comfortable using in everyday life. Collateral estoppel. I love the way Judge A breaks down this opinion. It just is so easy to go through and so well done. It just, it lays it all out. Collateral estoppel is the preclusive effect impacting a subsequent action based on the collateral and different cause of action. Emily, English, can you translate that to law nerd? Hey, you already tried this shit once. You don't get to try this shit again. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, stop. That is collateral estoppel. You've done this. You don't get to do it. In the subsequent action, the parties to the first action and their privies are precluded from litigating any issue of fact actually litigated and essential to a valid and final personal judgment in the first action. So that's the qualification around it. What collateral estoppel is, is you don't, you already did this. We did this shit. You don't get to do it again. But what, what is, we did this shit mean? We did this shit means that these parties and or their privies cannot litigate again an issue of fact that's already been litigated to a final judgment. You're done. You're done. In the words of Nicole Breyer, you're done. Accordingly, the following requirements must be met for collateral estoppel to apply. The parties to the two proceedings must be the same. She must go here. Two, the issue of fact sought to be litigated must have been actually litigated at the prior proceeding. Do you already see the issues? Three, the issue of fact must have been essential to the prior judgment. Four, the prior proceeding must have resulted in a valid final judgment against the party against whom the doctrine is sought to be applied. The parties to the two proceedings must be the same. Emily, was the UK case between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? No. So what happens? Stop right there. Thank you very much. The two parties are not the same. Uh, The court goes through this a little bit more, talking about privity. Ordinarily, for estoppel to be effective, there must be privity or mutuality against the parties. And don't worry, we're going to get into what privity and mutuality are. Accordingly, a litigant is generally prevented from invoking the preclusive force, meaning the you can't do it, you're precluded, you're stopped from doing this, of a judgment unless he would have been bound had the prior litigation of the issue reached the opposite result. That is critical because what that means is that had the impact or had the court gone the other way in the UK, would they have ruled against the party here, Amber Heard, seeking to enforce the doctrine? And would that party have had some effect against them, a force of judgment against them? Well, no, there was nothing the UK court could have done that would have enforced a judgment against Amber Heard because Heard was not a party. Heard was a witness. So even if the son had lost, and Johnny Depp had won, nothing would have happened to Amber Heard. And that's kind of where the conversation stops with collateral estoppel. The court does get into privity because the conversation is, oh, but what if the parties are essentially the same? 
And that's what Amber Heard's team argued. Because you're like, Emily, obviously Amber Heard's lawyers, I mean, we know we don't love Elaine. But obviously, Amber Heard's lawyers don't actually think that Amber Heard is the Sun UK. Correct. The concept of privity is where they're arguing that it's essentially the parties are in such a like position that a ruling against one is kind of a ruling against the other. Virginia law does not allow for this, according to Judge A's ruling, saying that collateral estoppel precludes a party or party's privies from relitigating a factual issue determined in a prior litigation. There is no fixed definition of privity. For privity to exist, Virginia law holds a party must be so identical in interest with another that he represents the same legal right. So are the same rights represented between the UK Sun and Amber Heard? Um, The court found no. And you're sitting there going, well, obviously no. Right. They go on in this ruling to then explain that privity in the context of collateral estoppel or raised judicata, we'll get there, does not embrace relationships between persons or entity, but the person's relationship to the subject matter of the litigation because privity is narrowly construed. In this case, the defendant argues that she was in privity with the son because they both had the same interest in the case. The court says, however, for privity to exist, defendant's interest in the case must be so identical with the son's interest, such that the son's representation of its interest is also a representation of defendant's legal right. The son's interests were based on whether the statements the newspaper published were false, Defendant's interests relate to whether the statements she published were false. Her statements. Although the claims are similar in the sense they both relate to claims of abuse by plaintiff, the statements being defended in the UK case are inherently different than the statements published by defendant. Therefore, given Virginia's narrow construction of privity, defendant and the son are not in privity. The legal interests are different. Amber Heard's being sued over her op-ed The sun is being sued over their headline. Those are not the same. It's not as if the sun is being sued over something Amber Heard wrote. They're not the same. The court then gets into mutuality, talking about mutuality required for issue preclusion, meaning you can't can't litigate this issue again because it's been litigated. And then they get through the very deep and legally nerdy types of collateral estoppel, non-mutual collateral estoppel, and non-mutual defensive collateral estoppel. And since we are not doing a law school class today on collateral estoppel, I will let you know that what the court found is that the plaintiff was trying to exert non-mutual defensive collateral estoppel, meaning the defendant was not the party previously, so it's not mutual to the others. And it is being used defensively to stop litigation against defendant. It went through case law talking about where this would apply and where it wouldn't apply. And the court said that this is not a matter of first impression. It is a matter of stare decisis or stare diocese, depending on how you went to law school and learned to pronounce that word um, and whether or not you ever took Latin. I did not. Maybe should have. My pronunciation might be better. But what the court means by this is not a matter of first impression is this isn't novel. This isn't new. There is a a lot of case law on this, and we're just applying the well-established law to this case. 
The court says based on the abundance of binding case law, holding mutuality is still a requirement in Virginia. Collateral estoppel is not appropriate here. However, even if an exception to mutuality applied, the court is not persuaded by defendant's argument that plaintiff had a full and fair opportunity to litigate the UK action. Defendant was not a party in the UK action and was not treated as one. Because she was not a named defendant, she was not subject to the same discovery rules applicable to named parties. In fact, defendant could not have been named a defendant in the UK litigation because her allegedly defamatory statements were made after the UK action commenced. The op-ed came out after the UK action began. So it was an even if, but the court said that the defendant can't argue that Depp had a full and fair opportunity to litigate the case in the UK. The court said that's not true. The rules did not apply to Amber Heard the same way in the UK action because she was not a party, particularly the discovery rules. And discovery is highly, highly relevant. The only reason we know that Amber Heard did not actually pay all of what she pledged to the ACLU and Children's Hospital Los Angeles is because this case went to discovery. If this case had not gone to discovery, that would never be known. And in the UK case, the judge talks about the $7 million in very specific and finite language and whether or not it was pledged or donated. So there will be those that will continue to be like pledge versus not law nerds. Y'all know it's a big deal, but there will be those that will keep saying pledge versus donated. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It mattered very much in the UK case, and it matters very much in this case because it is a lie. And when someone's credibility, witness or victim, when someone's credibility is at issue in a case, in most cases, there is an instruction. In all cases, there's an instruction about witness credibility and something that is a small thing, a matter of forgetting. Those are things that most people are like, yeah, I forget stuff all the time. And jurors, this is why we have jurors who take their own life experience and say, yeah, these are these are among the things that don't say somebody's not a credible witness or didn't see what they see or don't remember what they remember. But when you get to outright lies, then a jury can look at that and be like, this is a big deal. That is a large and substantial outright lie. And that is what the pledge versus donated issue is. It is an outright lie. The court then goes on to say that the defendant's reply, Amber Heard's reply in this case, includes a ruling from the UK judge regarding whether Amber Heard should be ordered to make certain third-party disclosures. Such third-party disclosures may be ordered only when the documents sought, quote, are likely to support the case of the applicant or adversely affect the case of one of the parties. And disclosure is not necessary in order to dispose fairly of the claims. The court says, Thus, to argue plaintiff fully and fairly participated in the UK trial action because defendant, quote, was an active participant providing evidence, seven witness statements, and sitting for four days of testimony, end quote, is incongruous with the UK judge's ruling regarding defendant's discovery obligations. Specifically, the judge, quote, refused the claimant Depp's application for a third-party disclosure order against Ms. Heard. That's discovery. The court refused discovery as to Ms. Heard sought by Depp. 
The court then goes on to say, accordingly, defendant and the son were not in privity. Defendant heard. Defendant and the son were not mutual. Defendant did not persuasively present an applicable exception to the general rule of mutuality. Thus, collateral estoppel is inappropriate in this matter. You cannot stop us. Proceed to raise judicata. Raise judicata encompasses four preclusive effects, merger, bar, direct estoppel, and collateral estoppel. Raise judicata bar is commonly referred to simply as raise judicata and works by barring the relitigation of the same cause of action or any part thereof. So the court goes through the law of raise judicata to talk about whether or not this should be barred. It requires that the claim in the first litigation and the second litigation arise from the same transaction or occurrence. All of you are like, hey, same transaction. Johnny Depp sued in the UK over a headline that the son made and he sued Amber Heard over an op-ed. Is that the same transaction or occurrence? No, no, it's not. But the court goes on to break out the law of why that's not a thing in much more detail. The court does talk about the elements of defamation and talks about the defendant's claim in less than flattering terms, saying, quote, the defendant's claim of race judicata is especially puzzling. Elaine, WTF. At the time the plaintiff initiated his claim against the son, defendant had not even released her op-ed. The son was sued before the op-ed. Plaintiff's defamation claim in the UK was based on completely different statements than the present case. The defamatory statements were different. The specific statements uttered in defamation cases are incredibly important. That is why this court, after defendants demur, analyzed the four statements originally sued upon to determine if each statement met the requirements for defamation. The statements from the son and from the defendant are not related in time. Several months passed between the publication of the two collective statements. They are not related in motivation. They are not related in space or time continuum. That's my own interjection. The only relation is the origin as both statements arose from plaintiff's alleged abuse. However, it would be nonsensical to find that any statement relating to other plaintiff abuse defendants arose from the same transaction or occurrence simply because they came from the same origin. Therefore, given the lack of privity and the separate circumstances in question, raised judicata is inapplicable. Then they get into comedy and the doctrine of comedy. <sighs> from a case called McFarland versus McFarland, from 1942. And I don't think this has anything to do with it's the McFarlands on TikTok, but now I want to know. I'm sure it's a much more common name, but I want to know the circumstances of McFarland versus McFarland. And don't worry, I will run down that rabbit hole another day. Just didn't have time to do it today. Comedy is defined as the recognition and effect which a form jurisdiction gives within its territory to the legislative, executive, and judicial acts of a foreign jurisdiction given due regard to a number of factors. This means I will allow you and I to be on the same page. So even though we're not the same judge over there, you did this and I did this. So we'll allow you to be on the same page. We will extend comedy to you and allow, allow us all to work together. You do go here. We see you. I accept that. I accept your authority versus the respect my authority and saying no. When determining whether to afford comedy to a foreign jurisdiction, trial courts must consider the following four factors. Did the foreign court have personal and subject matter jurisdiction? 
are the procedural and substantive laws applied by the foreign court reasonably comparable to that of Virginia? Was the foreign court's order fairly or fraudulently obtained? Is the enforcement of the foreign court's order contrary to the public policy of Virginia? In relevant part, the court says, importantly, the libel laws of Virginia are starkly different from those of England. The Declaration of Independence and the First Amendment of the United States Constitution represent major departures from the English common law with respect to freedom of speech and freedom of press. In fact, England's overreaching suppression of free speech during the 18th century drove the United States to regulate the freedom of speech into a solid foundation of civil liberty. To hold that the two countries have similar libel laws is untenable. The court's like, um, actually, the way they do things in England was like a whole foundation of why our court system is the way it is, because our court system is like, yeah, we're not going to do that like that. No, nope. Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern's way full. And that is part of the foundation of the Constitution of our country. I love that the court was like, this is not even close to happening. It's actually untenable. So as a, as opposed to Amber Heard in her interview saying, you know, we get we get our concepts of free speech from the Greeks. We actually got a little bit of a constitutional law lesson here from Judge A, which I appreciate. Judge A goes on to say not only are the substantive laws of the UK different than that of Virginia, but so too are the procedural laws. The court said in Virginia, plaintiffs are entitled to a trial by jury if so demanded. However, such right is not available in the UK. Instead, in cases of libel, judgments are based on the reasoned decision of one judge, as opposed to, quote, a bald verdict of a jury, end quote, and then cites the case that came from. Of course, this court means no disrespect to the procedure adopted in the UK. I appreciate the, like, of course, we intend no disrespect, but shit's way different here. So thanks. The court goes on to say, notably, during oral argument, defendant maintained the position that Virginia has never denied a request to apply comedy. That position is incorrect. But apparently, I want to know who argued this. I can only imagine it's Elaine, because uh, Elaine makes big statements, saying that Virginia has never denied a request for comedy. And the court's like, no. No, that's not what happened. The court goes on to say, given the differences between Virginia and UK law regarding trials by jury and libel laws, the court is hesitant to apply preclusive effect to the UK finding, especially considering defendant was not a party in the UK suit and was not subject to the same discovery requirements in that suit. They say defendant draws attention to plaintiff's more favorable burden of proof in the UK. Plaintiff did indeed have a more favorable burden of proof in the UK litigation, but that is not the only factor to be considered. As previously mentioned, the procedural and substantive laws regarding libel claims in the UK are vastly different than the laws in Virginia. Then the court gets into the Uniform Foreign Country Money Judgment Recognition Act, the UFCMJRA. I don't even know if that's easier to say. It's just not for me. And finds that that does not mandate the dismissal of plaintiff's case. The court talks about chilling effect because Amber Heard's team argued that refusing to recognize the UK judgment in this case would set a dangerous precedent. The court says that that argument is unfounded and then concludes that defendant's supplemental plea and bar is overruled regarding plaintiff's request for sanctions, plaintiff being Depp. Such request is denied. 
while defendant's supplemental plea in bar was misguided and only thinly supported by pre-existing law, it is not sanctionable. However, based on this opinion, paragraph 13 of defendant's grounds of defense is hereby stricken as moot. The order is attached. So the court said that this was a misguided motion, but that it is not sanctionable. Sanctionable, And here's why. And the court also said it was only thinly supported by pre-existing law. The ethical obligations of attorneys are to zealously represent their clients while attorning to the ethics of the profession. And the key ethic of the profession is to zealously represent your client. You owe a duty of candor to the court and you are bound by following the ethical rules of the profession. But if you have thin support from pre-existing law and you are zealously representing your client, it is not going to be sanctionable. And that is where the court is saying, no, I don't like this motion. I think it was misguided, but it does not rise to the level of sanctions. That is why the UK ruling did not come in. I think it would be highly prejudicial to tell a a jury, look, a judge already decided this because you run the risk of people in a jury being like, well, if a judge already said that, I mean, I don't know. I don't agree, but who am I to disagree with a judge? And that's what's hard when we see judges make rulings that we don't agree with is to be like, I don't agree with this, but they're a judge. Generally, we give deference to be like, hey, we think that they get this right. And with that, I just want to point out what the Sun UK court ruled in their final judgment. Again, they found Amber Heard's testimony to be very credible and they found they, he, Judge Nickel, who then promptly retired. He found not only was her her testimony credible, he discounted a lot of what Johnny Depp said because he found Johnny Depp at the time that the incident happened to either be under the influence of drugs or alcohol and found that that to be impactful. But with regard to the donations, I want to point out exactly what the UK case said, because this is an issue that is going to keep coming up. So I have been going back through the UK ruling and will continue going back through it because I'm sure it's going to come up even more. And I wanted to, it's been a while since I've covered it and I wanted to re-familiarize myself with it, but I do have a podcast episode breaking down this judgment by the court. Towards the end of this judgment, the court is going kind of bit by bit through Depp's arguments and says a recurring theme in Mr. Depp's evidence was that Ms. Heard had constructed a hoax and that she had done this as an insurance policy, presumably in the event that the marriage broke down. Mr. Shoreborn commented in his closing submissions that Ms. Heard had said that she recorded some of her conversations with Mr. Depp to show him what he was capable of doing when the monster prevailed. And yet many of these were never played to or shown to Mr. Depp. She was, according to this scenario, nothing more than a gold digger. I have in the course of this judgment given reasons why I do not accept this characterization of Ms. Heard. Looking at the evidence as a whole, I come to the same conclusion. There is a multiplicity of emails, texts, and messages and diary entries in the papers before me. I have quoted some, some, but by no means all, are from Ms. Heard. I recognize, of course, that previous statements by her are not independent evidence of the truth of the allegations, yet they are not, on the other hand, inadmissible or irrelevant for that reason. There are also, as I have shown, sometimes statements 
sometimes statements, from third parties which do corroborate her. I have evidence as to what Ms. Hurd had received as a result of the divorce settlement. I have explained that there was no expert evidence to compare these figures with what she otherwise would have been entitled to under California divorce law. So was she entitled to $7 million or more based on marriage, based on how long they were married, based on the divorce, et cetera? The principal element of that settlement was payment to her by Mr. Depp of U.S. $7 million. Ms. Hurd's evidence that she had given that sum away to charity was not challenged on behalf of Mr. Depp, and the joint statement issued by Mr. Depp and Ms. Hurd as part of the deal point memorandum acknowledged that this was her intention, and that came in in the Virginia case as well, that statement that she would be donating the money. The court goes on to say, I recognize that there were other elements to the divorce settlement as well, but her donation of the $7 million to charity is hardly the act one would expect of a gold digger. The $7 million comes up other times in this ruling. What was interesting to me is that the evidence Ms. Hurd presented says, Ms. Hurd's evidence that she had given that sum away to charity was not challenged. The evidence Hurd put in in the UK court was that she had given that sum away to charity. And that is before they got the information from the ACLU and from the Children's Hospital Los Angeles because they were not able to do discovery in the same way because they were not substantially litigating the same matters. And that is just one example of why it mattered to allow this case to go forward in Virginia, even though the ruling was different in the Sun UK case. Because that's an example of where discovery made a big difference. And we know from the juror that did speak out that donated versus pledged was a big deal to them. Because it is not a, oh, this date and that date dates get fuzzy. That happens. It's not small contradictions. That happens. Memories aren't perfect. But this is a statement on television and elsewhere that they donated it, donated it, and then direct evidence that that was not done. And that's why it matters. So do I think we're done talking about the UK case and why the UK case wasn't allowed to be heard by the jury? No. Do I hope we are? Yes. But I don't think that we are. Hopefully you understand this a bit better. Please let me know if you do, not just on YouTube in the comments, but also over in our conversation at lawnardsunite.com in our community where I post these episodes and then we can chat together as Lawnards about these topics. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for being a Lawnard. It is time to go. It's the end of June. We're going to be getting into July. It is, you know, it's it's time for summer. It's time to just unwind a little, enjoy the warm weather, you know, spend some time outdoors, enjoy the longer days and enjoy being a Lawnard. So with that, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a Lawnard. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your gas not be $7 a gallon. Emily, are you nervous about how much you're going to pay in gas when you go back to California for a week? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> very much so. But I'm very excited to see my friends and family. So there's that. May your families be well, and may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being here, and I will talk to you in the next one, episode 150. 
out. Thanks, everybody.